0: listening to After All Things, WSHU's daily news and culture update from the Long Island Sound region. A children's advocacy group criticizes Governor Lamont's proposal on income tax cuts. A Nassau County official quits in solidarity with trans women. And Bridgeport's redo mayoral election is today. Those stories and more are coming up. I'm Sabrina Garone. Democrats in the New York State Legislature yesterday rejected new congressional district maps drawn by a bipartisan redistricting commission. They're opting to draw their own maps instead. Republicans, who are in the minority in the legislature, condemned the vote, saying it's all about the Democrats trying to
1: gain political advantage. Karen DeWitt has more. The maps were approved 9-1 to one by the Bipartisan Independent Redistricting Commission back on February 15th. They left largely intact the maps drawn two years ago by a court-appointed special master. Those maps are believed to have contributed to four congressional seats in New York flipping from Democrat to Republican in 2022, resulting in the GOP's narrow hold on the U.S. House of Representatives. But Deputy Senate Majority Leader Mike Giannera says that's not why the Democrats voted down the maps. There are a number of constitutional defects uh, in the lines. If you look at it, they clearly um, engaged in incumbent protection, which is prohibited by the Constitution. Uh, they, it was actually bipartisan incumbent protection, which is interesting. Minority party Republicans who backed the commission's maps objected. Senator George Borello says the Democrats' decision to draw their own maps undermines the will of the voters. They passed a constitutional amendment in 2014 that set up the bipartisan commission to draw new lines. Because the reality is, we don't really care what the people think. We care what the political outcome is at the end. And that's what this is about. The 2022 special master's maps were the result of a court battle where the state's highest court rejected lines drawn by the legislature's Democratic majority, saying they were gerrymandered to benefit the Democrats. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. Governor Lamont's proposed state income tax cut doesn't adequately
0: address the tax burden on Connecticut's poorest households, according to a Connecticut Child Advocacy Group. WSHU's Shelley Hausman kadish reports.
1: Connecticut Voices for Children says the state's tax system is unfair to its poorest citizens. The latest state-issued report this month shows the poorest households in the state spend nearly 40 percent of their earnings on state and municipal taxes. The highest earning 10 percent paid around 7 percent of their income to taxes. Connecticut Voices for Children says the new planned tax cuts will slow the widening tax inequity gap but will not reverse it. The group is a strong advocate for a child income tax credit for poor and middle class families. Shelly Hassman-Kadish, WSHU News. A
0: member of a Nassau County Advisory Board has resigned, claiming that County Executive Bruce Blakeman is aligning himself with far-right values. WSHU's Sky Crabtree reports.
1: Angel Rivas was a member of the Advisory Board to Nassau County's Office of Hispanic Affairs. He blames Blakeman for avoiding community leaders.
2: You know, we haven't had a single meeting, right? And it's something that we've been asking. We've been meeting as an advisory board, we've been meeting with the office, we've been working on events. But part of our role is also to advise the county executive, but he, he, he doesn't have an interest to like meet with us as community leaders, right?
1: Rivas says he chose to leave after Blakeman issued an executive order last week banning transgender women from participating in sports at county-owned facilities. Rivas says Blakeman's avoidance of his board indicated that he never cared about their input. He says he was compelled to resign in protest and take a stand to support another minority group with shared struggles. Sky Crabtree, WSHU News.
0: A religious group is growing its roots in Connecticut. More on how paganism has fostered a community for people across the state is coming up. First, a message from our supporter.
1: Local support comes from Hartford HealthCare, the only health system in the Northeast, with all its hospitals receiving A grades for safety from the LeapFrog Group the nation's leading independent safety watchdog group, hartfordhealthcare.org.
0: Joe Ganim and challenger John Gomes are facing off in Bridgeport's mayoral election today. Again, it's the fourth time the two have faced off this election cycle. Results from the city's Democratic primary in September were overturned by a judge for absentee ballot fraud. Gannum won the do-over primary by more than 1,000 votes in January. So Gomes is running as an independent, and Republican David hers is also on the ballot. The polls close tonight at 8, but anyone in line to vote at 8 o'clock will be allowed to cast a ballot. And you can check out the results later tonight on our live blog at WSHU.org. In New York, Governor Hochul paid a visit to a mosque in Melville yesterday. The community there had been subject to trespassing and harassment just days before. An attorney in the area entered the mosque, berated those inside, and refused to leave.
1: just want to convey our values as New Yorkers, that we do not tolerate uh, hateful incidences as occurred here just a few days ago.
0: Members of the Muslim community say they welcomed Hochul's support. Hochul says with Ramadan nearing, enhanced patrols will be be provided to the mosque using grant money through New York's Securing Communities Program. some Connecticut residents, paganism isn't just a religion, it's a community. WSHU's Molly Ingram spoke with Sharzad Rasek, a photojournalist with the Connecticut Mirror, about her article, Pagans in Connecticut Stepping Out of the Broom Closet. It's part of the collaborative podcast, long story short.
2: You have a really interesting story about something that I think many people probably have some misconceptions about. How did you choose to write this story about paganism in Connecticut?
3: Hi, um, so I was pretty new at The Mirror and in Connecticut in general, and I was looking for something that not only I wouldn't really know about, but people in Connecticut wouldn't really know about. So I actually started by going out on Facebook and seeing what kind of different social, cultural, religious groups were pretty prevalent in Connecticut. And I stumbled across a few different groups about paganism. So it was a little bit tricky to get access at first because people were obviously a little bit wary a little bit skeptical of what i could write just because they hadn't had great experiences with media and paganism in the past and so that's how i got started
2: tell me about tony one of the people you talked to for this story
3: i met tony through a few members at connecticut's welcoming pagan network i told them what the mirror usually did focused more on public policy And that I was trying to find a way to both incorporate the Mears general approach and this whole aspect of paganism into one story. And so they recommended that I approach Tony because he had had a lot of experience working on the witch child exoneration project, which had resulted in a bill being passed earlier this year, last session, that basically exonerated or absolved people who had been accused of witchcraft in the 1600s. That wasn't exactly the direction that I wanted to go with the story, but it was a great start because he himself was also pagan.
2: And how did he find paganism in Connecticut?
3: Well, Tony first started dabbling in paganism in the mid-90s after a visit to Salem, where he both became interested in the history of the Salem witch trials and basically the whole social movement and feminist movements Or anti-feminist movements back then that had resulted in such injustice for the people who had been killed back then as a police officer he was also rather justice focused so that piqued his intrigue in that sense but he also started looking into actual paganism as it is actually practiced not in the in the sense of it being used as a weapon to kill women basically and so when he came back to connecticut he started going to different paganism-related stores, some of which don't exist anymore. He went to pick up some magazines from magazine stores that also don't exist anymore that were focused on witchcraft and paganism. And little by little, he kind of developed his sense of what he saw as his path in paganism. So he started going to different temples and different groups. One of them, which was mentioned in the piece, was the Pantheon Temple, which at the time had been started in Bridgeport and had a different name. And that wasn't the right fit for him, but he ultimately ended up finding different groups like Connecticut's Welcoming Pagan Network that he did find as a better fit. And so I I first met him at the harvest gathering that I wrote about rather in depth in the piece. We sat at a bench in the forest really, and we just had a great conversation about his efforts to lead the witch trial efforts along with a few other people. And I met him a second time later on to really talk about just his own experience with paganism and his life experience really in general.
2: And a lot of your photos are from the Harvest Gathering. What was it like to attend that? And what were the things that you found important to take photos of when you were there?
3: It was a great and really unique experience. I met some people who were hesitant to be photographed and even a handful who were reasonably wary of me there had been a photographer for another publication the year before who hadn't necessarily respected everyone's uh wishes to be or be or not be photographed so i had to be very clear with my intentions and ask for consent more than i generally would have even though i did ask the organizers to announce my presence a few times I would still ask people who were in my photos if they were okay with it, just because not everyone is comfortable being public with their faith and their paganism. But overall, it was a really welcoming community. I mean, as you walked across the campground, everyone came up to you to say, welcome home. And really aligned with a lot of my traditions that I've grown up with, which are Persian traditions, just because they're also rooted in paganism. So it was really interesting to see of something that I was raised with, connected so much with something that I thought I had no idea about.
2: And from your photos, I get a really good sense of community. It seems like this is a group of people that are maybe used to being ostracized and judged. But from what you write, they've kind of used that to grow stronger together.
3: Yeah, so their community is so supportive from what I've seen. And when I was trying to photograph them, I was trying to look for different moments that would really show their community I tried to focus on kids to show how parents were involving their kids but I also tried to focus on older members of the community trying to, kind of trying to show the range the age range but also the social range and the activities that were going on I had kids playing I had people pouring tea during breaks between activities I wanted to show the diversity not only of the people but also of the activities that were organized and of Paganism in general, in the sense that they have so many different practices and not everyone ascribes to all of these practices, but they're all there and available for the community to be able to learn from and use in whatever ways they feel best aligns with their faith.
2: And I have to ask, because we've never had a photographer on the show, is it difficult to talk about your photos without being able to show them to an audience? I'm sure you're used to being able to present them in a certain way when you're talking about them.
3: As a visual person, I don't necessarily think that it's difficult for me to describe them. I love photography so much that I could just talk about it for hours. So it's more finding a balance of not boring the person that I'm talking to because I remember every detail in my photos, but I'm able to see it because I know what the photo looks like. So I guess it's more of a difficulty of conveying it to the person in its entirety.
2: Well, thank you so much, Sharzad. Sharzad Rasek is the Connecticut Mirror's photojournalist. I'm Molly Ingram, in for Ebong Udama.
0: the latest news from Long Island and Connecticut. You can listen on the radio or stream anytime you like with the WSHU app or on our website, WSHU.org. And again, that's also where you can find a live blog with results from tonight's election in Bridgeport, so be sure to check that out. After All Things is supported by Hartford Healthcare, and this podcast, like everything else you hear on WSHU, is also made possible with support from our listeners. So as always, thanks for listening and for sharing this podcast with your friends. I'm Sabrina Garone. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow.